0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen, amen. Well, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, for our gospel readings in the season of Epiphany, we're going to be sitting with these stories of signs in the opening first half of John's gospel. Uh, This week we are going to sit with Jesus healing the official's son. And so we're going to look at this passage, this story, in just four short movements. And the first one is the royal official approaches Jesus, verse 46 through 47. Now, uh, there is no indication that this politician, whoever this person is, knows who Jesus is. A little beyond the fact that Jesus is someone that can help him in a moment of desperate need. And that's the first thing that I want to invite us to notice is that this royal official, that we don't know much about him. uh, The one thing we do know about him is that he was willing to acknowledge his need. And we've talked about this in weeks previous, but it bears repeating, our souls, the very nature of our soul is to need. Uh, There's so much in our culture, in our stories that tells us it is not okay to need, uh, that we should do anything to avoid looking needy, to appear as desperate. And if you are needy, then certainly you can pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps in order to pull yourself out of your need. Even as we talk about that, oftentimes uh, what we're doing is we're framing need out as something to be overcome, something that is broken within us that needs to be fixed. And yet, what if the opening stories of scripture, the opening stories that God is writing, is creating women and men, individuals who need. In fact, people who are much smarter than I have boiled down the needs of every human to a few basic things. Uh, A few weeks ago, I finished Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Desire, which is just phenomenal. But one of the things that he points out in this book is that every single one of us need four things. We need to be seen, we need to be soothed, we need to be safe, and we need to be secure. We need to be seen. We need to be soothed. Our souls need to be safe. Our souls need to be secure. And he goes from beginning with an infant needs to be seen and soothed and safe and secure but all the way to the adult because oftentimes we give our desires a bad rap that to desire something we talk about disordered desires or we talk about desires that are bent and that is certainly true but even at the root of our bent desires is a desire to be seen which is a good thing a desire to be soothed to safe and secure But one of the other things, and and I love how the Holy Spirit does this in moments like this, this theme has already come up, both in our announcements and even Brendan's words before our song. These are not things we acquire. You cannot simply acquire being seen. We cannot acquire being soothed, being safe, being secure. It's the reason why some of our numbing tactics don't actually work. But rather, these are something we receive and we receive in relationship. You can only be seen in relationship, soothed in relationship, safe in relationship, secure in relationship. And God's design, his creation of us is to find these things, yes, in one another, but ultimately created. Our souls were designed to receive these things from God. The royal official was willing to acknowledge his need And one of the things that I'm struck by in this story is that the royal official is needy and vulnerable and he's coming to God. That is who Jesus is. He's coming to God, but it is not God as maybe we picture him in Isaiah chapter six, seated on a throne, angels and fire. He comes to God and the God he comes to, the God who is in flesh, the human God is a God who is also needy and vulnerable. Jesus would have starved if he had not eaten. He would have grown sick had he not slept. As we see in the later parts of the gospel, Jesus has a body that can be bruised and beaten and ultimately murdered. And so here is a royal official in a moment of need and vulnerability coming to a God who is not outside of his need and not outside of his vulnerability. In fact, in verses five through uh, in chapter five, verse eighteen of John's gospel, Jesus will claim God as Father. It's one of the reason why uh, the Jewish officials officials will begin to change to turn on him because in that moment he's claiming equality with God. And what is so stunning about his claim? What angers them to the core, aside from it being a central blasphemy within their religion to claim equality with God, is that if God were to come, he certainly wouldn't come in a vulnerable, weak human form. And yet this is how God comes. As one who can heal and redeem, but as one who comes needy and vulnerable. In fact, we, uh, whether we recognize it or not, it's something that we embody every single week in our worship and in our liturgy. Every single week, we come to this table. Well, almost. Last week, we were on Zoom, and so there was no table, and there was no Eucharist and communion. But every single week that we're gathered in person, we come to this God's table. And I don't know about you, there is absolutely nothing impressive about this wafer, And certainly nothing impressive about the Robitussin they claim is juice. This wafer dissolves in your mouth. This, it's barely, I don't even know how much that is, like half a tablespoon. And yet, in these weak elements, Christ meets us. As we gather to confess, to be assured of forgiveness, as we pray a prayer of consecration over these elements, they become for us the body and blood of Christ. We aren't kidding when we stand up here and go, beloved, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ, the bread of heaven, the cup of salvation. We eat and drink and our bodies and souls are sustained. God comes to us. And so the royal official approaches. But the second thing I want us to notice this morning is Jesus's response in verse 48. And it bears reading again. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, uh, there's a hint of frustration here with Jesus. And if you're reading that into Jesus's words, I actually think you're right. I think there's a hint of frustration here. In fact, you're gonna, this is one of the central themes in John's gospel, is a little bit of frustration that Jesus has with people coming to him for miracles only, for just what Jesus can do. And I think we, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what was Jesus trying to do? And what I love about Jesus is, Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. There are times he does and there's times he doesn't. What is Jesus trying to do? He says in the opening of Luke's gospel in chapter four, when he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in the in the synagogue, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, hands it back, sits down and goes, today is the day. In fact, Jesus remains consistent with this, that his life, words, actions are all about proclaiming the striking availability of God's kingdom. And so what Jesus does not take issue with here in this moment is the neediness. Because it would be easy to interpret that way. We express our neediness and Jesus gets frustrated. That must mean he doesn't want to help. But for Jesus, he doesn't take insult with our neediness. But what he wants this, this soon-to-be friend of his, what he wants his other friends, what he wants us as his friends today to do is to keep asking questions beyond what it is we need. In fact, one of the number one questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels is, what do you want? He asks that more than any other question. And it's a question that, again, is relational in nature. In John 5, verse 6, uh, when a person comes to him who needs to be healed, he says, do you want to be made well? These questions aren't for him. These questions are for us. Jesus' frustration in this moment Is because all of the external features of the kingdom are bodying forth the instinctual heart of the one who is king. And a temptation in our neediness is to look for results and outcomes and miss the God who is revealed in Christ. The God who in John 15 says you are clean and you are loved and so abide freely in my love. And friends, this is is what we mean when we talk about faith, a confidence that is grounded in reality, but not just the reality that we can see, because oftentimes that is what is most deceiving. But as Paul tells us, it's one of the, the themes in Ephesians, that it's actually when it comes to the kingdom of God, it is the invisible that is more real than the visible. Which brings us to our third movement, Jesus commands the royal official to go home. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Jesus here in this moment is looking for a response of faith. He's looking for confidence grounded in reality. Jesus is inviting this man to proceed as if God were good and as if he were real. And as if he were present, even though this man has zero evidence to prove it. And again, what is it that Jesus is trying to do? I think what Jesus wants this man, his friends, and even us, his friends today, is to learn how to walk before we have the answers. Jesus wanted his friends to recognize that there are times and moments in our lives when the most faithful thing to do is to walk before we have all the answers. And that is one of those things about God that I just don't like. I don't like that there are times when God invites me to walk before I have the answers. I would much rather have the answers before I step out. And The other thing I think, the second thing that I think Jesus is trying to do in this moment is he wanted his friends to recognize that his words carry power. His words carry power, power to heal, to redeem, to comfort, to push, to sturdy us. To shape our imaginations, to animate our hearts, to give context for our stories. No wonder the psalmist this morning in our psalm reading proclaims, the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Jesus' words carry power. Which brings us to the fourth movement, that in response to this, the royal official does. He goes home. And what does he discover? He discovers on his way, as his servants come to him, that his son is healed at the moment, at the hour in which Jesus said he would be. And in response to this, I'm sure there is not only rejoicing and hugs and tears, but more than that, there's belief. In fact, John tells us he and his whole household believe. And in this moment, I think it's easy to read belief as simply cognitive comprehension. They get it. Oh, maybe there is something special and different about this teacher. But as always, anytime we see no and and the word no in the gospels, it is something more than just informational being received that you can later regurgitate on a quiz or a test. It's an experiential knowledge. There is something that goes beyond comprehension. This belief is because in this moment, they have apprehended, not just comprehended, but they have apprehended who God is, the instinctual heart of God. There is a movement of depth, not only of intimacy with God, but also with people. Also with people. The royal official goes home and finds his son healed. This is surely fruit of the kingdom that is centered in the king of that kingdom who knows in his flesh what it is to be unseen by people, but seen by God. The fruit of this fruit of the kingdom centered in a king who knows what it is in his body to be abandoned by his friends and family and soothed and comforted by the spirit alone. This is fruit of the kingdom centered in the king who knows what it is to be beaten and bruised and cut and bled by people he loves, by people he desperately wants to heal and set free, and yet never loses his place as king in his kingdom. This is fruit of a kingdom centered in a king who is betrayed and abandoned by friends and family but is never, ever once betrayed by God the Father. This is the God to whom we bring our needs, who knows what it is to be abandoned and betrayed, can handle it, has shoulders broad enough to handle the weight of our accusations when we accuse God himself of not seeing us, not keeping us safe. A heart full of mercy and love that knows what it is to be abandoned and yet never abandons us. That is our King. That is our friend. That is our Christ. And thanks be to God for that. Friends, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you.